Today on the Block Party Show, JM to win and I break down the week four DFS slate from a GPP perspective. We'll go through all of the top plays at each position, and then we'll finish by building a lineup on DraftKings to get you all set for the week as we all attempt to take down these tournaments. Let's do it. Peter's one of the greatest depositors I've ever seen. Trust the process. Let's go. I got auto match with Levitan. Bullshit. I just go the other way. In that 66, I went all the way. All the way. If I had 150 lineups, I'd win too. Uh, AP, coach, five bullets to your head like KD. Bust it, bust it. Bitch, go bust it. And I had 10 pints with me in Russia. Hey, everyone. All right, uh, JM should be here in a second. I got a message from him at the uh, the last minute saying uh, his internet went out and he would be here uh, in a second. So you guys are stuck with me solo for the first uh, few minutes here before we get rolling. Shout out to everyone in the chat. We got Big Dan, we got Sean, we got Nez, we got GA. Bart, will JM have clothes on? Maybe his power didn't actually go out. Maybe he is derobing right now. And when he pops on, we will all be in for a total uh treat here we got copper prices ross also wants jam to be naked frank is excited for the show because i'm falling into a raider stack with jimmy g so i'm going to lose all my money um real quick before i forget here um this is the first week the deposit kingdom tournament hasn't filled uh by showtime so we do have uh 99 spots left the link to this is in the Deposit Kingdom Discord in the announcements channel. So if you're watching this right now on playback, if you're not in the Deposit Kingdom channel, that is where it is exclusively posted. So hop in there, go to the announcements section. Let's get this filled up. We've been able to raise the entries by 50 each week. So let's keep that rolling. And without further ado, he is wearing clothes. Everyone was wondering, <laughs> would JM be coming in here naked today? Uh, how are you doing, JM? I didn't have I didn't have time to get naked um, dealing with internet connection um so i'm um i'm not wired in i'm using wi-fi so if there are any little miniature lags it's because of that strangely it was my it was my wired connection that cut out but wi-fi is still working uh-oh um well hopefully we will uh we'll be able to power through this it seems what it, what did levitan always say you had that uh hemp hemp uh, yeah, internet? The, uh the hemp hemp connection to the uh internet i came here and i came here in my canoe and i've got yeah. my <laughs> my hemp connection to the internet. So yeah, I'm ready to go. Do you still self-identify as a hippie? Um, you know, I said something, oh, it was on my show with uh, CSU Ram last week, um, talking about looking up at the stars and just remembering how small we are and how little <laughs> money matters. And I said, it's pretty, that's pretty hippy dippy stuff, but it is also very true. So, um, you know, I think that my background as a, like in fiction writing and as big reader and uh, all that is very different, different background than the typical DFS bro. So yeah, I guess in this, in this world of DFS, I would be considered a hippie. I, I always enjoy that stuff. I thought Jonathan Bales back when he was uh, writing and blogging more, he would always blend that stuff. I think he even wrote about it once too, where he called it like idea sex, where you take something from a completely different place, whether that's fiction or science or another discipline. And then you find those things that you can apply to fantasy, even like Rotoviz's Sean Siegel, who kind of popularized zero RB, he was reading Taleb talking about anti-fragility and like had this epiphany of like, holy cow, this is a concept we can apply to fantasy. So I always uh, appreciate those kind of musings. Yeah. You know, what's funny in my show with, with Keegan, right before this, the DFS lab show, which actually cut out at the very end. Well, uh -oh. one of the things he'd asked about was, you know, how do you 
select rosters and and in terms of like this fear of hey maybe this is the roster that's going to hit and I'm changing things on this or and I was saying that the mental side of DFS is one of the most interesting components and I said to him something I've said before in other spaces but you could play DFS for for five years especially NFL DFS where you have the full week to kind of think through things you can play it seriously for five years and really dedicate time and attention to it and be a losing player and make so much more money in other areas of your life as a result of those five years of DFS play uh, really does like sharpen your understanding of how to hunt for upside and how to raise your economic ceiling. It's one of the, one of my favorite things about DFS is you, know, you can play lose money, but it trains your mind so much in terms of how you can use it in other areas. So yeah, DFS is a very interesting, uh, it's not just sports. We know that, right? Most of the most of the top DFS players are very good at math, very good at wh whether it's finance or advanced analytics or whatever it is, um, or game theory. But yeah, it's it's a cool way. It's a cool space for blending thoughts and ideas. And you can take thoughts and ideas from DFS and blend them into other, other areas of life as well. So how, uh, speaking of, uh, you know, uh, getting in touch with with the uh, the stars and if God is shining his face upon us, how did, how did your week uh, three go? I know a lot of the one week season family had another big week. How did you end up? Yeah, it was uh, God. God's face did not shine on on my <laughs> roster, fully, but it was um, it was a weird week where uh, I had to remind myself. You know, I always say like process over results, and uh, I knew Sunday morning that I was three and zero on the season, just in terms of was it a good week of prep and play and all that. And so I had to remind myself on Monday, Tuesday, because when you have a losing weekend, uh, and I didn't finish down much money, but finished down just a little bit, coming off of back to back winning weekends you can start to press a little bit more or change your process. So I had to remind myself, like approach this week, the same as you would if, if, you know, I had three main builds and one of them was like top 5% of contests, but the two that I put more money behind both finished like with the bubble touching the, the cash line. Right. So yeah. it's like, well, one little thing goes differently and those bubbles are in the cash line. You finish up a couple grand instead of down a couple grand and your mindset would be different. So uh, yeah, it was a week where um, I had, every all the top six wide receivers were my six highest owned wide receivers all the top quarterbacks were my highest owned quarterbacks but didn't have the bills defense and didn't have enough of the dolphins backfield and didn't have like it just didn't land on the right rosters sort of thing so um yeah it was one of those weeks where like it was a and i said it last week it was not a week that set up well for me and in, in the past it would have been a typically been a bad week so uh, i was very happy with my play very happy with the position i put myself in if we played out that slate a hundred times, I would have finished up money on it. Not, not substantial money, but up money. So uh, yeah, it was a good week. Didn't, didn't show up in the uh, the bank account, but yeah, I felt good about it. Did you have any takeaways from the Devon Achan performance just from like a process standpoint? I mean, I know he was very, you know, low owned across a ton of contests. So it wasn't like, you know, he was a tough decision point, but is there anything we can look back on that and, and learn from just seeing, you know, one of the, probably the biggest running back, you know, score we'll see all season and, and none of us got it on our DFS lineups. Yeah. One of the things that, you know, Cubs fan used to always, he would text me on a, on a, Sunday morning and be like, who's the number four receiver for, for this team, or who's the backup running back, you know, and uh, look at, look at squirrel patrol who have my Friday road grinder show with, you know, he won a, it was a two game slate, but he won a Millie maker a couple of weeks ago with, with the backup running back from both teams. And uh, you end up with injuries and that type of game. And obviously that's a two game slate. It's a little bit different, but in terms of, we never want to be taking guys who can't break the slate. We know that. And so we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, I think on this show of, there can be a tendency to be like, oh, this guy's low owned. And it's like, 
Yes, he's low owned because there's a lot more risk on him. And he's he's 5,200. And if he hits, he gets you 20 points, right? Like that doesn't separate. So if the guy's low owned, if it's more risky, you want the guy who can be like, man, you really had to have that guy. So A-Chan was interesting because that's not something I'm good at is finding the the backup running back who can have a good game. Right. And, and that's not my strength, but I've learned since I've started doing MME last year, I've learned to always ask those types of questions of who on this team could put the slate out of reach and try to get 2%, 3% of those guys. Right. Because I'm going to have last week, it was like over 40% Justin Jefferson and Mike Williams, uh, 20 to 25 to 30% of Amari Cooper and Keenan Allen and tank Dell. Like, so if I have those guys as my core, and then you're mixing and matching in these kind of two to 3% owned guys who can have those monster games. Well, on a week like last week where my core hit across the board, you have that chance for A-chan to end up on one of those rosters. But I mean, A-chan also outscored Mostert by what, like 10 points, right? And Mostert right. Was, was somewhat popular. So um, in that context, he wasn't as big of a difference maker as he would have been without Mostert also hitting. But yeah, I, I do think, especially if you're playing the Millie maker, that's what, one of the reasons I don't play it is because that's not my strength is to look for those types of plays and I'm better suited in, in MME to something like the slant with, with 26,000 entries instead of 200,000 entries. But yeah, in MME in particular, you always want to kind of be asking those questions in, in the larger MME, the more so like who is the guy who could put the slate out of reach and, and what's the story that would be required for that to happen. Nobody sees 70 points coming, but you want to account for yeah. kind of what, what could realistically happen. And HN certainly fell into that category of, you know, it could realistically happen. He could get 12 to 14 touches and, and hit some long runs. So yeah, not like not a huge takeaway for me, but it was a very interesting setup that week. Yeah, for sure. And I, and I think, you know, this happens with everything, right? It always looks obvious in hindsight. You're like, oh, they're missing Jeff Wilson, Savon Ahmed, A-Chan had already been activated. He's clearly going to get some touches. Mike McDaniel drawing up this awesome run scheme, one of the most explosive concentrated offenses in football, going against one of the worst defenses in football. Like, how, how did we not have him in? But it's so much easier to do that in hindsight. Let's uh, do a, kind of a macro overview of this week for Slate. We do have kind of one extra game off of the main slate this week with the Falcons-Jags playing in the morning in London. I'll pull up the Fantasy Life Game Hub here so we can take kind of a gander at some of these totals. I would say one interesting thing here, JM, is it kind of sets up similar to last week where there's like that one game with a total over 50 that people are very excited about. Dolphins, Bills, last week it was Chargers, Vikings. Then you have a couple interesting games in the mid-range and like the 46s here, uh, Vikings, Panthers, Rams, Colts, I think are pretty intriguing. And then in the later uh, hour, you have Raiders in Chargers. But what are some of your kind of like macro thoughts on this slate? Well, Pete, I'm glad you asked. So the... Uh, you don't you don't have a podcast feed for this right it's just on youtube i do i oh, you do, do throw this on a podcast, podcast. Okay, so in, a vo- in a vacuum podcast feed for the audio listeners yeah those of you who just listen on podcast you can't see the visual here but basically uh to me it's like there's there's these games right that are the higher confidence games and and same thing with the players higher confidence players but the chances of those going for like had to have it setups aren't that high and then you have like the players and games here that are lower confidence, but mm-hmm. there's some spots where it could really like spring up above the, the higher confidence bets. So to me, this is a very spread out week. And so what I mean by that is uh, 
what makes the Dolphins so difficult to defend? We could start there. And I'll, I'll go through two examples on the higher confidence side and like uh, one or two examples on the lower confidence side, just to kind of give a sense of what I'm saying here. But uh, what makes the Dolphins so difficult to defend is the field stretching ability, the unique way that Mike McDaniel uses motion and the speed of the Dolphins. And you combine all those things together and it's really difficult to acclimate to on the field. So I had this quote I, I tweeted the other day, or yesterday from Vance Joseph talking about that game. And he said, you can't simulate that speed in practice, but on Sunday hmm. it was overwhelming, the speed was. And he had a few more quotes after that. It was basically like saying how overwhelming it was to face that speed. But we also saw the Patriots in, in week two find a way to slow down this Dolphins team that they've seen a couple times already. The Bills saw this team three times last year. So Jordan Poyer out, which obviously hurts the Bills secondary, but like that's the type of game where it won't be surprising if it's 31 to 27, but the chances of it just going up to like 42 to 38, right? Becoming one of these just nasty blow up games where all these points are scored are lower than normal. Not to say it can't happen, but it's like pretty high confidence game, right? Josh Allen's going to say, hey, we got to score points here. Let's keep the foot on the gas. But Vic Fangio is going to say, you can't throw downfield against us. And then the Bills are going to say, good job, Josh Allen. You keep taking the underneath throws. Let's praise you every week for that, right? So Bills marching the field. Bills doing the same thing to the Dolphins saying, cool, you have all your speed, but you got to go underneath all game, right? So the chance of it blowing up a little bit hard. Jalen Hurts is another example. Almost certainly going to have a big game against Washington. But, you know, are the Eagles going to be up by – two or three scores in the third quarter yet again, as they have been through three games so far, can Jalen Hurts get to one of these 35, 38 point games where he's being pushed? Probably not, right? It could happen, but the likeliest scenario is he's not going to fail. He's a really solid play. He's going to get you 25 plus points. He can get you that 30, 32 point range, but the chances of him going up to like 38, 40 points where you're like, man, why didn't I have Jalen Hurts are lower in this spot than normal. On the flip side, you have spots like the, uh, the bears and the Broncos, where obviously that, that game's not going to go overlooked, but it's like, oh, wow, couldn't this game pop off? Couldn't Justin Fields finally have a big game in this spot? Or couldn't the Broncos offense have a big game in this spot? So you're taking on more uncertainty, but that's the type of spot where, you know, maybe Justin Fields is the only quarterback who goes for 35 plus points this week. And Josh Allen goes for 30 and Jalen Hurts goes for 30. And that's kind of where those guys are capped at. Uh, and, and so, and then there's like a lot of pass catchers who are kind of in that same conversation of, man, there's like a, a much lower floor here, but these guys could ascend for a bigger game. So yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting week to me in that I don't know that the field is necessarily seeing it this way, but I see it as very spread out. I, I see it as a week where the highest confidence plays don't have clear pathways to being true bury you for not having them plays. But then mm -hmm. the, the ones that do have those pathways to really burying you for not having them, they also have a, a lot of holes that they have to avoid in order to hit those types of scores. So it becomes a week where you have to embrace, in my mind, you have to embrace some of that certainty because you don't want, you never want like this, the rosters with six, seven plays that all have a lot of holes and you have to avoid holes across all seven spots. But you also can't just have eight players that are all kind of safe and comfy and, and get you that solid score as somebody's going to have that score that ascends above those and you have to be hunting for those as well. So it's a very interesting week to me. And um, it's a week to me that sets up well for MME, but I also feel like as I get into Saturday night, I'll, I'll start having a clearer picture of what my tightest pools are going to look like. Let's yeah. Maybe just start here with the quarterback 
position for this week. You you obviously have the two big guys at the top, Jalen Hurts, Josh Allen, both over 8K, project very well. Then you kind of have the rushing quarterbacks, Anthony Richardson, Justin Fields, and then you got the quarterbacks on you know pretty efficient offenses that have been known to score a good bit, Justin Herbert, Kirk Cousins. Tua, and then you can kind of get down into some more kind of tournament plays just looking based on projection. What it, What is your quarterback pool looking like this week so far? I see this week as uh, very much like the, the division you just laid out where it's like there are, and I'm going to pull up my exact pool right here, but it's like I, I see it in three different tiers. I see there's the Josh Allen and Jalen Hurts tier, which to me it's those quarterbacks in the tier, but I'm not arguing against – Justin Herbert and some of these other guys, but I obviously prefer the guys who can also add that rushing upside um, to their floor. Right. So Josh Allen, Jalen hurts tier where these guys probably don't disappoint, but you know, can they get up to 35 points? Can they get up to 38 points? Allen probably has a better shot, but I mean, it's, it's impossible to overstate how far out of their way the, the bills have gone so far this year praising Josh Allen for taking the underneath throws and last week praising him for sliding instead of taking hits downfield. Mm. And this is very much what they're wanting Josh Allen to be is the best version of himself taking on Vic Fangio, who also kind of pioneered this cover two shell that we're seeing everywhere right now. Like that's going to try to force teams to work underneath. So, you know, Josh Allen's chances of a 35, 40 pointer lower than they would typically be. He can obviously get there. Uh, same thing with Hertz, you know, game environment where they they probably control things. So there's that tier. Then there's the Richardson and Fields tier of these guys in the, the mid six Ks who have a lower floor. They need more things to go right, but also it wouldn't be shocking if they end up being the top raw point scorers on the slate. And then to me, there's the, the sub six K guys who, you know, if Allen and Hertz both finish in the 25 to 30 point range and Fields and Richardson don't hit, well, all of a sudden, if one of these sub six K guys goes for 25 points, he ends up being very valuable because to me, value is pretty thin on this slate. So if you yeah. save 2K and get nearly the same score as the as Josh Allen and, and Jalen Hurts, uh, Justin Herbert, those guys, if you get nearly the same score as those guys. So for me, that pool is is primarily Matt Stafford, who I think won't get a ton of um, a ton of looks this week from the field. Matt Stafford, Russell Wilson, Brock Purdy and CJ Stroud. Uh, I'm sure there are other guys you could throw in there. But yeah, that's kind of how I see it is these three separate tiers of quarterbacks and rosters should be built differently to account for which, which group you're in thought uh, falls nicely and that the pricing kind of matches up as well with, with how each tier is bu bunched up there. Yeah, I, I do think that's interesting too. And just looking at early kind of uh, ownership projections, it does seem like Richardson and fields are going to be uh, fairly popular Um it, with with fields, you kind of you know wish you were getting a little bit of you know the team's been a disaster discount, but it's like the Broncos ruined whatever chance we had of that. I mean, I, everyone's getting actually pretty excited and talking themselves in to a Justin Field bounce back. Do you have any thoughts like overall? Because I assume when you're referencing some of those six K sub six K guys, I'm I'm guessing Russell Wilson is in that conversation for you. Yeah, Russell Wilson definitely in that conversation. You know, he had. Like 56 rushing yards a couple of weeks ago, but he's 35 years old. He doesn't run much anymore. So we basically have to look at him as a, a, a pocket passer at this point. What he's getting through the air is what he's going to get for you. Uh, but, you know, any, any of those guys that I named could go 300 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, Stafford's gone over 300 twice already this year. The touchdowns just haven't been there. Uh, opposite Richardson, right? If everybody thinks Richardson is going to have a big game, that means touchdowns being scored. It, it can't just be the rushing yards. 
And that means, you know, the Rams keeping pace or the Rams taking the lead and forcing the Colts there. And uh, same thing with Russ, obviously you can go for, um, you know, two, two, 250 to 300 passing yards and, and three touchdowns. You get that 303, that's 27 points, right? And that right there, if, if Hertz and Allen finish in this 25 to 30 point range, that right there kind of unlocks everything for you because you're right there with those guys and saving that salary. Uh, and then, yeah, Purdy and Purdy and Stroud are the other guys. I kind of have my eye on in that range. I think it's also interesting that the Justin Fields thing, you know, you mentioned we, it would be nice to get him at 4% ownership, yeah. right? Um, and on our DFS lab show on Thursday, we were building a roster and we decided to go with Justin Fields. And as we got deeper into that discussion, it started being like, man, but what if Fields goes for 35 or 40? And he's the only guy who does it, right? Uh, at the same time, you know, I, I went back into that Bears film yesterday and it was just like, what is Luke Getze doing? I mean, I've never seen a, a square peg round hole situation like this that that coming off a year where they redesigned their whole offense mid-season. We saw Nick Sirianni do this in, in Jalen Hurts' first year starting where a couple of weeks into the season, they redesigned everything to build it around Jalen Hurts. The Bears did that last year. And they did such an incredible job like saying, all right, your strengths are not being a pocket passer. And yeah. you've got this unique ability with your legs. And they literally went, went and studied Greg Roman's Ravens film. Greg Roman, who is one of the greatest run game designers in NFL history, extremely creative run game concepts and they pulled those into the bears. And then this year they're like, all right, cool. Drop back in the pocket and pass on top of that. They're they're Like last week, there were so many plays where they were blocking Chris Jones, like with one guy. So Chris Jones is wreaking havoc up the middle and, and they don't even think like, Hey, this is the one guy who can wreck things up the middle. Let's put two, two blockers on him. It was just outlandish. And then you see Justin Fields. It's hard to quantify where a player's confidence is at. But you constantly see Justin Fields passing up open slants and open underneath throws, which either means he like he's just not seeing the field well, or more likely he's so much in his head that he can't just see something and pull the trigger. So I do feel like if you've ever had a, like a losing streak in DFS, you know that feeling of like you're losing, 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 and then you finally have one week where you just barely profit or one slate where you just barely profit, and then that kicks off this streak of like winning, winning, winning. And I do kind of feel like Justin Fields is going to need a game where he has that small win first, and then that kicks him off on this bigger streak. And in fact, we saw that last year, there were a couple games where he kind of started getting his legs under him and then he started blowing up. So um, yeah, I mean, that's obviously the, the painting the side of how Fields doesn't become a had to have a piece here at the same time, you know, the, the, the bears coaches are fighting for their jobs. They're going to be looking for yeah. ways to improve things. You know, the Broncos coach are fighting for their jobs too. Vance Joseph has, has proven in the past he's a solid defensive coordinator. Um, there's no reason to just expect that the Broncos are going to come out and be awful again, but they're not good. They're not scary on defense. And so, you know, even if Fields fails, he probably gets you 20, 21, 22, 24 points, which is really nice at his, at his salary. So, yeah, it's an interesting spot. I don't know. I'll either probably be like even with the field on him or like way overweight. Um, if he's 10% owned, you know, maybe I'm like seven or 8%, but I don't know yet, like which direction I'm going there. It's a very interesting discussion this week. One specific quarterback situation I wanted to ask you about before we move on, just because when I was looking at some early optimal lineups, I was seeing Jimmy Garoppolo actually show up in a lot of those. I did just check. It seems like he is still in the concussion protocol today per Adam Schefter. So could be dicey. Like we might legitimately be getting uh, Brian Hoyer this weekend. I know this is a very interesting game for DFS purposes. So I'm just curious 
um, both if Jimmy plays, if he doesn't, like how are you thinking about the Raiders offense this week? Because Devontae Adams is our cover boy here. Yeah, so we went with Devontae Adams, huh? So yeah, the uh, the, uh, the I feel like pressure to put him on our on our on our build now, but maybe we no won't. no 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 the cover uh, boy. There's no pressure. I just like getting someone who's going to be talked about. That's, we that's the cover the boy on Thursday morning, and then like last yeah. night it was like uh, I think I sent you yeah. three three options, right? Last night it was like oh here's some other guys we could have picked. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I mean the, this offense is we've never seen anything as concentrated as this offense. I think the numbers was it was something like. 55 out of 61 touches last week went to Jacoby or Devontae or, or Josh Jacobs. So if Jimmy G is playing a, that like all three of those guys are very much in play. It's actually very reminiscent of another team on this slate, the Rams in that Kyron Williams, Puka Nakua and Tutu Atwell, you know, nine games among the three of them, each of them played three games, right? Nine games among the three of them. Seven of those have produced a score that you would be happy with at their salaries. Um, so when you have like a, a spot where, again, we always want to turn the math in our favor. We always want to give ourselves fewer things we need to get right. And one of the ways to do that is hunting these concentrated offenses. So, you know, that idea of if Jimmy G plays and we know the chargers are, are going to be able to do a good job against this Raiders defense. If Jimmy G plays, the Raiders probably keep pace enough that at minimum, one of these three guys hits for a score you would like to have on your tournament rosters. Um, and potentially two of these guys, right? So you can just say like, hey, I'm going to spread these guys across almost all my rosters, which is probably a pro an approach I'll end up taking if Jimmy G is out there. If it's not Jimmy G, you know, I, I've seen the Brian Hoyer. I grew up in I grew up in Massachusetts. I've seen the Brian Hoyer show <laughs> for a long time. Like this is, he's not the guy, right? And especially at this point in his career, it, it won't surprise me if it's Aiden O'Connell who starts for the Raiders instead. But if that's the case, you probably have a more, run focus game plan and then build some play action off of that. So it'd be a little bit harder to get behind these guys. That said, it would be harder for everybody to get behind these guys. So um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting spot in that I could see I'll have exposure to this offense, regardless of who is under center. And then the question becomes how much do you scale the exposure down? If it's, if it's Hoyer or O'Connell, because obviously the chances of hitting for a ceiling game are way lower with those guys but the field will recognize that as well and might overcorrect. So uh, I'll give myself some leeway to still have exposure there, maybe a little bit above what the field will have if it's the other guys, just because of, you know, we're still hunting for ceiling and the ceiling is still there. It's just that the chance of hitting it become a little bit lower. Before we transition to the top running back plays, want to remind you guys, as always, you can get 20% off your one week season subs across all of their subs. They got the full season inner circle that includes all the stuff with D, uh, OWS DFS and the inner circle. Does that come with the bank machine, the, the optimizer you've been referencing lately? No, but there's an all access pass that, that's just all inner access. circle and the bank machine all, all wrapped okay. into one. Perfect. And the, yeah, the promo code P will get you 20% all of those. Also, as we always say, if you just want to test it out, try that one week pass. Um, and I think even JM has promised even a, a refund. If you don't, if you're not satisfied with the experience you want out, they'll get you back. So go over there, check it out. Uh, as I've mentioned on previous shows, reading through the scroll is uh, a major part of my process on Saturday nights and Sundays, seeing the player grid, seeing who all these guys are on, reading high lows, you know, game theory perspective of the slate. So much good information over there at one week's season. I got the link down below pinned in the chat promo code Pete for 20% off 
Jam, let's talk about the running back position this week. Um, I do know we, we were talking a little bit about the Raiders, Josh Jacobs potentially being in play here with some ambiguity with the quarterback situation. What else is jumping out to you at the running back position? Yeah, running back is a little bit of a, you know, quarterback I've mentioned eight guys right running my running back pool right now is like six or seven guys which is pretty small out of you know 24 teams playing and one of them is Austin Eckler who might not play one of them is CMC who I might not have a ton of because I we play him more for his certain points than for his ceiling you know he has only what is it uh, 13 take away his first game with the 49ers he has 13 games with this team. I say take away the first game because he was just getting up to speed. And it was that, I think, Thursday night game and he'd just been traded. Other 13 games, you know, he's only topped 30 points three times in, in mm. 13 games. And he's only topped, like, I think it's 34.3 points once. So CMC is obviously rock solid. He, and he can go for 40, but in most scenarios, he's getting you 25 to 30 and he costs a lot of salary for that, right? So he's not even a guy who really stands out to me. So you know, I, I'm going to potentially expand the pool beyond this and give myself opportunity to, to build rosters in the bank machine, shop through them and have a roster where it's like, oh, you know, this, this running back's only on 4% of my rosters, 6% of my rosters, but I really like this roster. So it's going into single entry or, or, tight, or smaller field stuff, you know, but in terms of like what my actual single entry three max pool is, it's pretty small. And um, so I think that this, let me see if I can find, I'll, I'll see if I can find this quote while I talked through these other two guys. Uh, but the first two guys are uh, Kyron Williams and Zach Moss. Not yeah. going to go overlooked by anyone, but just in terms of when we don't have a lot of certainty at the running back position, what I want to be looking for is who has the biggest workloads, who is getting the most opportunity to hit for these games. Uh, and then the other guy is, uh, other guy I want to highlight here is Alexander Madison. Uh, this is a quote from Wes Phillips, uh, offensive coordinator of the Vikings yesterday or two days ago. Uh, he said, Cam's a talent, talking about Cam Akers, he said, Cam's a talented back, planning on keep mixing him in in practice and hopefully get him some ops this week. So mm-hmm. that stood out to me as, you know, could be coach speak, but it, it sounded like, you know, he was just talking from like his, the flow of his thoughts. Like, here's, here's where we're, yeah, they asked what Cam Akers, they asked him about Cam Akers and how he would be getting involved. And that was his answer, right? It was like, you know, he, we're getting him involved in practice, hopefully get him some ops on the field this week. So I could see Alexander Madison still getting, uh, you know, 65, 70% snap share in a good run game matchup on a team that keeps talking about, you know, how important it is for them to establish the run and, and be able to build pass concepts off that. So, uh, yeah, there's other places that you'd go, you know, the Dolphins, Dolphins running backs, um, the, the Bills, good run defense, but they're very small. Uh, you know, they play primarily nickel base coverage, they're going to be compelled to do that against Miami. Uh, Terrell Bernard, who is is the replacement for Tremaine Edmonds, has been phenomenal this year. Like there's kind of this expectation that oh, the Bills linebacking core is going to fall off a little bit without Tremaine Edmonds. Uh, Terrell Bernard's been awesome, but he's undersized. Matt Milano's undersized. Uh, last week, uh, heading into the Week Three game, Mike McDaniel said that he believes Raheem Mostert is the strongest pound for pound player on that Dolphins team. So, I mean, you've got a guy with not just speed, but size, you know, a guy who's hard to take down and you got a, a nickel based defense and undersized linebackers. So, you know, another, another spot where most early ownership projections, like sub 4%. Yeah. Um, and it's a good, it's a good matchup for him. And so people are excited about that game, but not on Raheem Mostert. He's an interesting piece there. And um, obviously 
Achan also has that opportunity to potentially get another 14 touches. And um, so, yeah, that's a, that's a small running back pool. It won't, won't surprise me if I branch off in other directions and kind of find some more pieces, but that's where I'm at right now. I'm curious about that dynamic because it's something we see play out a bunch. And I guess the examples I'm thinking about right now are generally rookies, but most are certainly qualifies where you get this outsized performance. I'm also thinking about like Puka Nakua in week one, the price goes up and there's both an element of skepticism. Like there's no way they can do this again, as well as sticker shock. Like now they cost more. I missed the boat on this. I don't want to be chasing last week's touchdowns. Like how do you think through that exercise for say the Dolphins running backs this week, because based, like you said, on those early ownership projections, it seems like that's exactly what is happening with both of these guys who are projecting for sub 5%, which again, does feel like a unique thing to like 2023 DFS, right? Where five years ago, it'd be like, Hey, I'm just rolling out most dirt and HN again. Why can't they score eight touchdowns again? Yeah. There's also a pricing psychology. When you top that six K mark, there was somebody I was looking at uh, yesterday and, and it was like, uh, you know, I like these, sub five sub six K quarterbacks a little bit more. Maybe it was fields. Maybe it was Richardson. And then it was like, this guy's not that much more expensive than these pocket passers down here. You know, it's like, but once you top that six K mark, there's a, a different way you look at these players. So um, yeah, the pricing psychology aspect is critical in DFS. And one of the best ways to overcome that is to have a sense of what a player's worth is before the price goes up. Right. So um we were saying in leading into week one that when Calvin Ridley and Chris Olave were 6,500, I was saying that within a few weeks, Calvin Rid Ridley will probably be about 7,700. Chris Olave will be 7,400. Uh, I was saying since Tank Dell was 3,200, that he's should be priced about 4,900. So if you can kind of get a sense of those things before the prices go up, it makes it a little bit easier to then pay those price tags when they're there because you recognize you're still getting fair value on them. At the same time, we're going to make mistakes in that regard. I made the mistake Cooper cups, like ascendant year where it was like, Hey, we know who Cooper cup is. And now you guys are paying seven K for this guy, you know, and yeah. a few weeks later he's nine K and I'm like, well, yeah, I'll, I'll play him at nine K. Um, uh, and so, yeah, there's, there's, that's one of those where you're not going to get all of them right, but you have to have that willingness to see what a player's true worth is and have an understanding of that. Uh, obviously, the more you play DFS, the more time you spend with the salaries, the, the deeper understanding you're going to have of where a player's true value is. And yeah, having that having that ability to kind of step out of the, the forward momentum of a slate and prep for a mm. slate and say, okay, what is the value of this guy in, in his role in this offense, how he's being used? And it's also one of those things, you know, I always say, uh, if you're watching this, you, you don't have to do all this work yourself. Ideally, um, you're on a site that does this work for you, or you're paying attention to content that does this work for you. And as I, as I often say, you know, Pete mentioned the, the willingness to refund. Um, the, with, the thing with OWS, right? Like we're not for everybody because yes, we identify for you who the top plays are on the slate, but our main focus is on training you how to play DFS, making you a sharper DFS player. Everybody wants to be a sharper DFS player, but, but a lot of people don't want that in their content, right? What they really want is picks. And so we say, look, maybe we're not for you. You spend a week with us and you, and you want to go somewhere else, ask for a refund, we'll give it to you. So whether it's OWS or whether it's ETR or Roto Grinders or whether it's just like religiously watching and listening to all of Pete's stuff, like find places that are doing some of that work for you. And then you can build your own thoughts on top of that. Uh, but yeah, like I think it can be overwhelming when somebody's trying to start from scratch and do all this thought themselves. And one of the one of the best things you can do, you know, you mentioned reading the scroll every week. I read the scroll every week. I just listened to 
all the NFL edge write-ups today where, where we break down all the games. Uh, I listen to Lord Reeves and Hilo's podcast every week. I listen to some other stuff every week where I'm trying to gather as much information and pull in as much information as I can to balance it off of my own information. And uh, yeah, aim to do that because that's going to really help you uh, in terms of your, in terms of your, your play. Actually, as you pull up the scroll, um, if you don't mind, I want to read real quickly a uh, message I got the other day from Jumpahoo, who's one of the all-time great NBA DFS players. Uh, been out of DFS for a couple of years, started playing again this year, but he messaged me about the scroll and he said, um, my favorite part of OWS is the scroll. Uh, he said, most sites have everyone regurgitating the same plays. The scroll has so many unique individual writers with unique perspectives for a variety of contests for construction. Being different is how you win and hearing 10 entirely different perspectives that are well thought out and articulated gives one all the ammo to make your own decisions with dangerous upside. And I think that's one of the, whether it's, you know, reading the scroll or something else, it's one of the things to keep in mind as a DFS player is you want different perspectives and then you want to be able to pull those in and balance those off of your own perspective. So maybe 75, 70, 80% of your play is from your own perspectives but you get that balance of, oh, I heard this over here. I thought of this from what this person said. And those little pieces can be the difference in, in you know, what, what be, what's a good weekend or a tremendous weekend or what's a bad weekend and a good weekend. Um, so, yeah, finding things like that to balance your thoughts is, is also really valuable. Yeah. I, one thing that I've pulled from you guys and learned from you over the years that I used to not do, and granted it didn't specifically work out last week, but this whole idea of building blocks, which is what kind of this show is named after. And, you know, last week I used um, ETN and Ridley on the same team with the idea being, you know, both those guys, I thought we're going to, you know, not be completely sneaky, but together they were going to have this uniqueness element and being like, could they do a Josh Jacobs, Devonte Adams thing where one guy goes for 35, the other guy gives you 20. And those two in combination give you this, you know, tournament winning score. And so even those kind of ideas that are just conceptual ideas, and then you can mix and match the players you want, obviously the usage and the situations and game environment have to line up, but it is really fun to kind of pull some of those ideas, especially in the age of Sims, where people are using the math to dictate their decisions to kind of use your own creativity there to land on those unique combos is uh, a fun part of the process. One running back I want to ask you about before we move on to wide receivers, because I saw it come up in the chat a couple of times here, this Eagles backfield, and specifically people asking about DeAndre Swift. Obviously, really interesting usage. He's not used at all in week one. Week two, he's the bell cow back with Gainwell out. And then week three, it's what, like a 65-35, 60-40 split in favor of DeAndre Swift, who did look much better, looked shot out of a cannon on some of those runs. How are you approaching the Eagles backfield this week? Yeah, the you know, Nick Sirianni isn't, isn't messing around here. Like he's going to get Gainwell as touches. You know what, what they went in at halftime with last week, Gainwell had five carries and Swift had four. It's not like, Oh, they had the game in hand and now they're resting Swift. And so Gainwell is getting his 14 carries like Gainwell out touched out carried Deandre Swift in the first half. So I think that there can be this tendency on our end to say, man, this guy looked, looked awesome or to criticize a coach as an idiot for not using, it's easy to do that with the lions right now. Like all these, the, like Dan Campbell, Ben Johnson, they're idiots. They're not using Jameer Gibbs. Now, why did you draft him? What was it? Eighth overall. I don't know that, but also like the fact that they can just punish a team throughout a game, you know what that does to a team like physically and mentally to just like play after play, get punched and have to keep trying to fight back against that. So these guys know what they're doing in terms of how they want to use these players, how they want to set up the health of their players for their playoff runs. And at this point, it does very much look like Kenneth Gainwell remains an integral part of what they want to do. 
Uh, again, 14 carries to 16 for DeAndre Swift last week, five carries to four carries at halftime last week. So, yeah, I mean, I like DeAndre Swift because he's so explosive. Uh, I also like the fact that Nick Sirianni said this week, you know, he basically talked up Swift's pass game chops. And he said, you know, the, the game plan hasn't worked out yet for us to use him in that way, but essentially saying we're still going to use him that way. So the pass work hasn't been there, but it will be one week, right? There's going to be a week where he's used more heavily in that way, which is, is huge for us on PPR sites. And so, yeah, I mean, I, I like DeAndre Swift. He's kind of on the fringes of my pool. I might've actually listed Eagles backs in my pool, but I also like Kenneth Gainwell as a guy who, you know, it's not sexy. Maybe he gets you 70 yards and two catches, but also maybe he gets you those two touchdowns down at the goal line. And because Swift has looked so good and his price is still at 5,700, maybe he's, you know, six, seven times higher owned than Gainwell, but Gainwell ends up putting up a score much higher than what Swift puts up. So yeah, I'm not, um, it's one of those that when you scroll through everything on this week, it's one of the first players that stands out. And so I recognize that. And I recognize that's going to juice up his ownership a little bit. And I recognize he's not as good of a play as he looks when you're just scrolling through and you're like, what? Swift 5,700? At the same time, like, can Swift go for 30 points? He's in that bucket, right? So that's kind of my Saturday night process when I'm building my MME pool is who are the guys who can go for 30 that might not be on my, in my tighter pool. And then my pool kind of starts expanding a little bit to include those guys. And maybe those guys end up on tighter builds where I didn't expect them to. So Swift is kind of in that bucket for me right now of, can he put up 12 points? Yeah. And everybody's going to be like, man, how did he only put up 12 points? But also he can put up 30, 35 points. So uh, interesting setup. And uh, just kind of understand like how the Eagles are using that backfield. Before we get to wide receivers and then build a lineup on DraftKings with some of JM's favorite building blocks for the week, want to mention uh, Steph becoming a YouTube member here. If you guys are hand builders and opto bros, get you multiple things, get you access to the private hand builders and opto bro discord within the deposit kingdom. You just sync your YouTube and discord account that will unlock that channel. On top of that, you get two premium shows a week. You get the after dark interview show on Saturday. My guest this week is Sammy Reed. You guys might know him from the Gill cast from his terrific poker podcast, read him and weep excited to talk with Sammy and then Bill a lineup or two for kicks. And then on Sunday morning, you get the week four GPP cram that kicks off at 1045 AM. It goes through inactives. We break down the slate, the overnight news, all of the inactives, all of that good stuff. We'll get you those two premium shows. If you want to become a YouTube member and support the channel, Justin, let's talk, Justin, geez, sorry, JM, (laughs) let's talk about wide receiver because you mentioned it before too, not a ton of value on this slate and specifically at the wide receiver position. We have lots of fun stuff on the high end. You got, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson, who's almost cost prohibitive. Maybe Well, you can talk about that at 9,600. You got the two big dogs in this dolphins bills game in Hill and Diggs, And then you have like a, what, eight or nine guys in the seven K range who all have the potential to go off. You're going to have to make some tough decisions at wide receiver this week. What are you thinking? Yeah. And, and also I want to throw this one out there. Jerry Judy currently projecting for like sub 1% ownership after, you know, catching fire down the stretch run last year and all these like 25 to 30 point games. Yeah. There's, there's wide receiver. You said it, it's the top end is very attractive. Obviously that means that a lot of rosters will be built similarly trying to squeeze in one or two of these top end guys, but in terms of just what's optimal on this slate. Yeah. Like, kind of getting the Kyron Williams and the, and the Zach Moss type plays and then fitting in a couple of these higher priced guys. And then, you know, we're seeing 
guys like Josh Downs and Calvin Austin popping in ownership projections right now because they're popping in optimizers because it's like, well, these guys are on the field. They're going to get five to seven targets and it allows you to fit in these other guys. So A, you got to recognize what the typical roster construction will look like and how you might be able to leverage that to your advantage. Obviously, Hilo always breaks that down in the end around in terms of, hey, here are some of the other ways we can build this week to just have totally different construction. But also just on paper, that is that is the way to build. And uh, so, yeah, for me, a lot of these guys, it's attached to what I'm doing at quarterback. So I probably won't have, you know, if, if Diggs hits, Josh Allen's hitting. Like that's almost mm. a given. And not to say that, you know, you couldn't get Diggs for 30 points and pass up on the 30 points you get with Josh Allen and, and then go down in price and maybe get 25 points from one of these cheaper quarterbacks. Like you can do that. But generally speaking, if I'm getting two spots right with one bet, I want to just take advantage of that. I want to put the math in my favor. So like a guy like Diggs, if I'm playing him, it's probably with Josh Allen. A guy like AJ Brown, if I'm playing him, it's probably with Jalen Hurts. But then there's also guys like Jamar Chase, uh, who we don't even need to get into this Tennessee uh, matchup for pass catcher because we've done it every week so far. Um, but yeah, we, we know how great that matchup is. Uh, I probably don't want Burrow because, you know, 6,500, is he going to get, you know, is he going to throw for four touchdown passes? Probably what he needs. He's not going to be running on that calf. So he's got to get 300 passing yards and four touchdowns. Uh, so I'm probably not going Burrow, but I can go chase, right? That's concentrated offense. You have these big games and uh, same thing with Devante and, uh, Keenan Allen, Josh Palmer. I, I really like Josh Palmer this week, you know, 40 snaps last week to 16 for Quentin Johnston. And especially if, if Austin Eckler is out, I think we see, you know, if, if Eckler's in most of the schemed usage is going to be Keenan and Eckler, but if Eckler's out, you know, you gotta have at least two guys you're scheming usage for, and that, that puts Palmer at the forefront. Uh, also it's worth noting the Raiders have uh, fantasy points data shout out to Scott Barrett. Uh, the Raiders have faced, I believe it's the lowest first read uh, rate in the NFL. And mm. they've really kind of gone out of their way last week. They, they put two guys on George Pickens almost the entire game. They've really kind of gone out of their way to say, all right, we'll take away your top guy. Well, what clearer spot for them to do that than this week against Keenan Allen? So at the same time, you know, when you're doubling a guy, he still just has to win leverage on one guy. Because if he wins leverage on one guy, then that creates that open space on the field, right? If they're, if they're over, under, if they're inside, outside, well, if he gets leverage on that inside guy, he's still open to the inside. So it's not like Keenan Allen can be doubled and, and not get open. Justin Jefferson's doubled almost every play and he's still getting open all the time. But uh, something to think about there, right? Can Keenan Allen, whose A dot is still the same as it's always been, around eight and a half yards per target. So can Keenan Allen have a 15 to 18 target game uh, or a multi-touchdown game, which is what he'll typically end up needing to do. So Josh Palmer becomes very interesting this week. Um, but yeah, it's kind of, for me, it's like there's a few spots that kind of stand out separate from the quarterbacks and a few spots that will be very much attached to the quarterbacks. Yeah, you mentioned Joshua Palmer. We say how there's not a lot of value on this slate. I do envision Joshua Palmer to be very popular just at 4K. People like this game. He's produced already, seems to be holding off Quentin Johnston. For now, some other names, sub 5K that it seems like people might be willing to use. Adam Thielen, who's been on a tear lately at 4,500. Josh Downs is kind of interesting coming off an 11 target game at 3,500. Um, Tank Dell, you know, maybe still in the conversation here at 4,600. Are there any other salary relief guys you're you're considering? Do we have the you know one week early on the Tank Dell uh, special here? I don't see anything like like that this week. Um, you know, I think Marvin Mims. There's been whispers. I was I was uh, 
texting Scott Barrett about this yesterday to see if I can get any more information from him, if he was getting any, any information from uh, Broncos beat writers that he knows. But there have been whispers from Broncos beat writers that Mims is going to have a larger role this week. So um, Scott, without like any authoritative knowledge, just said, you know, I'd estimate it's maybe like 40% of the snaps or something like that. But that's a huge jump up from, yeah, like you double. know, 15 <laughs> snaps. And yeah. so um, that's kind of an interesting spot where we could be a week early instead of late. And I'll definitely have some Marvin Mims this week and, and we can put a feather in our, in our cap if he ends up having a, a more usage in a huge game because he is seeing like, you know, he had five targets last week on, I think it was 15 snaps or 17 snaps. So like when he's out there, they're trying to get him the ball. It'd be great if he was out there a little bit more. Uh, but yeah, you know, Calvin Austin is popping in, in projections, bad matchup, but he can score from anywhere in the field. So I can't talk that play down, so to speak. Um, Josh Downs, probably a guy I won't be on just because, you know, his chances of topping 35 or 40 yards in this role aren't high. You're playing him more for the safety than for the ceiling, but there's nobody else that I'm seeing as, as like, Oh, this guy's going to be priced quite a bit higher in a couple of weeks than he is now, uh, which just makes it a, a, a tough week for value for sure. Yeah. Why don't we kind of continue the wide receiver conversation as we build out a lineup on DraftKings? It is time for the building blocks DraftKings build. As I mentioned before, we still got some spots in the Deposit Kingdom Weekly League. This is a $10 single-entry, rake-free contest on DraftKings. This link is posted exclusively in the announcement section of the Deposit Kingdom Discord. We got uh, 81 spots left. Jeez, I can't do math. 89 spots left. Uh, I'm really struggling with that. 91 Ooh. spots. Jeez, I called you Justin. I can't do basic math. Um, rough show for me today, Jay Evier. But I, I feel like heading into this one, normally you and I, we talk a little bit. I know some of your building blocks, which ways you're leaning. I feel like I don't know where JM is at this week. What are you going to get us started with here? I, no, I feel like I don't know either. Uh, <laughs> and that's kind of the, the state of this week is like, like I said, the sharp plays, like the, the little less sharp plays, they do have a little bit more ceiling in some of these spots. So I want to blend those two things. Like, what is one of the higher confidence plays and blend it with what is one of the lower confidence plays with really high upside. And so uh, this block that I really like, I think in the, in the player grid, I named it, not, I think I'm going to look it up uh, in the player grid. I named it overlooked really. And mm -hmm. that is uh, Josh Allen paired with Gabe Davis and Stefan Diggs with mm -hmm. Raheem Mostert as the bring back which gives us, again, Allen won't be unpopular. Diggs won't be unpopular. But there are high-priced wide receivers who stand out a little bit more than those guys. And then we know that Mostert is coming in with low ownership projections. And so that means that this, this combinatorially, this block will be very low-owned. Obviously, we, we significantly restrict our salary with this setup, but it gives us a really nice starting point and allows us to kind of poke around on this value a little bit as well to see uh, what we want to do on the rest of our roster. Yeah, and didn't we, did we do a similar block? Was it week one? Did we do like an Allen, Diggs, Week two, it was one of these weeks week where, yeah. where we had Diggs, uh, Davis, Diggs, and Allen. And you know what? Like there's going to be three or four weeks this year where this hits. And so it's one of those things yeah. where um, almost every week I'm going to have this combination on some of my rosters. And yeah. there's going to be one of these weeks where, you know, I'm knocking on the door for first place in large field play because of this. And Ideally, that'll be a week where some of these rosters pop for me in 
smaller field stuff as well. I'm like, Ooh, I really like this one and, and can kind of double up on the winnings when it happens. Yeah. How, how do you think about um, the bills right now? Because I would say like my knee jerk reaction, even without like looking into the numbers is like, we've been getting some of these high target share games from digs, but other than that, it's been like really spread out. And even we see Gabe Davis get in the end zone. He hasn't obviously popped off yet. We've seen a lot of people kind of hoping that uh, Dalton Kincaid gets going, Dawson Knox mixing in, James Cook has been involved in the passing game. How are you thinking about like this offense potentially concentrating and allowing these guys at these prices to both kind of coexist in your lineup together? Well, we're also seeing the, you know, you have the Jets week one, which is yeah. a really tough matchup and then kind of an anomaly of a game given the way that the Bills played. And then back-to-back blowout wins, 38 to 10, 37 to three. So we really haven't gotten to see this Bills offense in a, a truly competitive, higher scoring type of atmosphere. And this game, it, it, it brought to mind the quarterback's documentary on Netflix when Patrick Mahomes was facing Tom Brady last year. And he talked in the week leading up to that game about how when you're facing a quarterback like Tom Brady, you know that no lead is safe. And so when you're on offense, you want to be extra aggressive and really make sure you're putting points on the board. And that definitely applies to this type of spot. So it won't be surprising if the Bills are able to find their way to 30 plus points again in this spot. And because Vic Fangio is going to try to force Josh Allen to work underneath, that can elevate that volume as well. So pick up those extra targets for somebody like Stephon Diggs or even Dalton Kincaid. Like I wouldn't, I, you know, a lot of my rosters, not a lot, but a good like 6%, 5% of my rosters last week had Justin Herbert, Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, and Donald Parham because Parham was 2,700 and it's like, oh, he can score the touchdowns. So I, I don't mind having a Dalton Kincaid on here as well, where you save the salary, the uh, touchdowns could go to him. Tight end is extremely thin this week and you kind of free up some stuff for other spots. So yeah, that's kind of how I'm looking at it is can this, can this offense hit in this setup? Absolutely. And, and in terms of Gabe Davis, like he's never going to be a, an 11, 12 target guy. It's more about what can he do on those seven or eight targets and he can score two touchdowns on those seven or eight targets. You hope for a setup where Diggs is catching nine passes for 120 yards and a score or something like that. But then Gabe Davis is getting a big play and two touchdowns and it ends up all coming together. So uh, I like this. This is the classic spot. We're now going to need to save some money. We mentioned that there isn't a ton of value at wide receiver. So I'm guessing we're going to have to do that with tight end in defense. Normally we do kind of talk, is there a defense placeholder that you like using here that could uh, save us some money? Browns at 2,800 kind of feel like the jets from last week are in a comfy spot. Anything else jump out to you? No, I mean, the, in terms of cheaper defenses, it's definitely the, the cheapest one I like is the Browns. I mean, they've been so good and not really surprising with, with Jim Schwartz there and the talent that they have and the talent that they've brought in, um, you know, if we had a different roster construction, the Eagles are very interesting this week because everybody knows the Eagles are interesting on defense, but they don't typically want to pay up for it. Yeah, uh, I think that the Chargers are very interesting, even if Jimmy Garoppolo is playing, but especially if Jimmy Garoppolo isn't as a defense, most people won't be looking toward. It's funny, I had like 2% Chargers defense last week as like a hedge off of my exposure to that game and ended up like they, they put up eight points. I think it was, even though that game ended up being you know, higher scoring. So uh, Chargers defense capable of, of doing something in this spot. Um, 
I think the Vikings are really interesting this week because everybody's mm. down on them. They're, they're not super talented, but they blitz so much and throw so many exotic looks at a quarterback that I could see Bryce Young having a hard time with them. Obviously, that's like more of a home run swing where you probably get a bad score, but maybe you get a really good score. But um, yeah, on this roster, let's go ahead and throw in the Browns defense We don't, or, or the Chargers either way. But yeah, we don't have to worry too much about uh, ownership at this point because of how unique our core is. And so taking kind of that cheapest one and seeing what that frees up for us is a, is a nice way to go. Yeah, we'll put in Browns for now. I do love the idea of if we have the salary getting up to Chargers just as, hey, that game has a high total. It's going to be popular you know, from a lot of spots. That's a nice way to play that game kind of failing um, if the field is going there in a lot of other directions. Um, do you want to talk about tight end? We haven't hit on that yet. Is there a play that's jumping out to you. It is, uh, you know, as always kind of wide open at the position. I know people are starting to get pretty excited about George Kittle. Debo Samuel's been questionable this week. Even Ayuk has still been banged up. You got the cheapies, Pat Fryermuth and Zach Ertz who look like they're going to be popular. And then other than that, it's kind of the wild West. Yeah. I mean, it's about as ugly as it can be at the tight end position. If Debo's out, George Kittle is, obviously an excellent play it's so obvious that people will be on him but uh, i like george kittle a lot this week i on this roster where we know that wide receiver value is thin and i don't want to be taking there's some really solid running backs available there's zach moss and kyron williams available at 6k so i don't want to be going down to like the 5300 backs or 5200 backs so i want to make sure that i have the salary for a running back so what i would probably do here is put in dalton kincaid as a placeholder and yeah. then put in the running back that I want and then see like, okay, is there a way to get up to George Kittle by, you know, if, if our, if our final wide receiver is like not much better than the cheap guy we can take, then we can say, well, let's just, let's go up to George Kittle and get some certainty there and go to a, another cheap wide receiver. Do you have a favorite between Kyron Williams, Zach Moss, same price, similar workload, same game. It's kind of the Spider-Man meme here. Uh, yeah, the Kyron Williams pass game role is probably makes him a little bit more attractive to me. I don't really have a strong lean. I do know that I, I will probably have at least one Rams piece, uh, Tutu and Puka and Kyron Williams. I'll probably have at least one of those three or exactly one of those three on like 90% of my rosters, just because the chances of all three of those guys failing are extremely low. And the chance of like two of them putting up a, at least a solid score pretty high, maybe all three of them. So uh, yeah, I like getting one of the Rams pieces on here. And that kind of sends us to like right now we're we're obviously taking us a home run swing on Gabe Davis and Raheem Mostert, but as part of our central thesis. Uh, and right now I really kind of like the stability of this roster. Uh, yeah. And I would love to add one more kind of stable piece in Josh Palmer. And then yeah. that allows us to see like, do we want to go with the like 5,300 wide receivers or something at 5,300 that we can actually really get behind? Or do we want to say, Hey, let's free up the extra 1900 and go up to George Kittle and just go like eat the chalk at, at Calvin Austin, knowing that he's right. going to get, you know, five, six targets and he can score from anywhere on the field. Uh, he's not a bad play. He's not, he's not great chalk. He's fragile chalk. But if it allows you to do what you want to do elsewhere, it's worthwhile. So that's kind of the balance that I would be at at this point. Uh, in this range, you know, yeah, it's pretty gross. <laughs> yeah. And I think that there's going to be a tendency for people. I said, uh, Judy's projecting under 1% owned and yet people are on that game. Right. In fact, when I was looking at, uh, ownership projections yesterday, Russell Wilson was projected higher than like 
Sutton plus Judy combined. I don't know yeah. how that could end up being possible, but um, I do think that people will just like totally lean towards Sutton. He was showing like yeah. 9% and Judy was showing under 1% uh, yeah. because Sutton had an 11 target game, but that was one game, right? And so- He also looked awful different. too, made yeah, a ton of not, mistakes. He's not, he's not um, those the holding the ball out away from his body and just yeah. <laughs> off fumbles. Um, and it was, uh, who was it? Maybe it was Sean Payton said that, you know, when you're, when you're down in a game like that, oh, it was Joe Lombardi. So when you're down in a game like that, like sometimes players start pressing, right? And they're just trying to make a big play and they make mistakes to resolve. And it was like, it didn't look like Sutton was pressing. It looked like he was just, he was like, yeah. here you go, guys. You can have the ball. Um, yeah, I kind of like the idea of going down to Calvin Austin and going up to George Kittle. Yeah. And what I like about this roster is, all right, we've got the chalky cheap guys in Calvin Austin and Josh Palmer. We've got the chalky defense in the Browns. You've got the chalky tight end in George Kittle. But the way we're building, and, and Kyron Williams is going to be popular as well, but the way we're building this roster and, and the way we're betting on, we're betting on Bills and Dolphins being the had-to-have-it game. Yep. On a week where there's not a clear had-to-have-it game. And if it ends up happening, Gabe Davis and Raheem Mostert are so low-owned and then the combinatorial ownership of that block is so low that it really doesn't matter that we're hitting chalk elsewhere on the roster. And this is another roster where I look at it and I'm like, oh, I can see myself using this exact roster, right? Just because it it balances what's popular with, with what's unpopular in a way that like what's unpopular could be what separates us from the field. Um, and so it doesn't force us to kind of take Calvin Austin's thin, but so are the other cheap plays. Right. And so this is one of those spots where we can say, look, we'll just ride the chalk here because we're doing something so different with this starting building block on this roster. Um, kind of sets up nicely for for smaller field and, and mid-sized tournaments. I probably probably wouldn't play it in the Millie Maker, but this is a great right. roster for um, you know, anything from the slant down, I would be happy with this roster. Yeah, I like this one. As always, uh, this lineup is not financial advice. It is meant to be a practice build. It is meant to give Don't you ideas for your builds. Uh, I saw lots of comments last week, JM. There was like, I built the exact same lineup you guys made on stream, and then I had to start over from scratch. <laughs> so, you know, don't get married to a lineup on a, on a Friday afternoon uh speaking of friday afternoons immediately after this and uh, we're wrapping it up here i'm headed over to the underdog daily channel we are doing off and on the clock the show i do on fridays with the badge bros we'll talk battle royale strategy hop in some dog bowl qualifiers got to chase nez and all these guys in the deposit kingdom who keep winning tickets to miami so head over there you can also just refresh right here but jm any final words before uh we pack it up for week four block party be aware of what this week provides. Adjust your play accordingly. Swing through one week season. Try a week pass. If you don't like it, if it's not for you, ask for a refund next week and you get the week for free. Uh, that's it for me. Excited to see you guys at the tops of the leaderboards on Sunday. Yep. Check out one week season, a ton of content getting populated on the site over the next 24 hours. Uh, you can't miss it. Uh, it has been helping my process in a big, big way. I will see you guys over on the underdog daily channel. I will see you tomorrow night for DFS after dark with Sammy Reed. And then I will see you on Sunday for the cram for JM. I'm Pete. Good luck this week, guys. <laughs>